and magnify him. It's good to see you tonight. Thank you for being here in the house of God. And we welcome you. And of course, um, I probably need to, to, to say that my dear wife's at home tonight. She sends her love. Yesterday, we missed the UPS driver who was bringing needed medical supplies from um, Atlanta. And he left the notice that he would be back today. Uh, that's my medications. And he wasn't there until we had to leave. The crux of the matter is if he comes twice, then he can't deliver the medications. They go back to the VA. And I don't know if you've ever had any dealings with the VA or not, but you almost have to be Elijah to get anything back from them once the medications goes back. So she stayed so we wouldn't have to go through all of that red tape again. So she sends her love, and I just wanted to let you know that she's okay, nothing's wrong. She's just trying to help us in that capacity. Tonight we look at the book of Jude. We have only one more week of this study, and of course that concerns the book of the Revelation. Uh, I don't know if I've ever shared with you or not, but the book of Revelation has a natural plan. And if you find the key that's there in the book, uh, it will open up to you. And I promise the Lord being my helper that I'll share that key with you and the plan that the Holy Spirit has laid out in the book of the Revelation if you'll come next week. And I appreciate so much those of you being here tonight. As we finish this up next week, you'll have a completed copy of the survey of the New Testament, beginning from Matthew and going all the way through the book of Revelation. So if you are missing uh, a particular study, one of the books, I brought them tonight. If you'll let me know, I'll try to help you complete your, your booklet because I want you to have it as a reference, and I wouldn't want it to be incomplete. So see me after the service if you need a particular study that we've done from Matthew all the way through uh, to Jude and then, of course, Revelation next week. Thanks again for being here. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, since Jude is such a short book, with your permission, I'd like to read it in your hearing tonight and then give you commentary from it. Can we pause for just a moment uh, and recognize the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit? Ask him to give you light and understanding and help you to apply some of these things that I'll share with you tonight, and I hope it's a blessing to you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Pastor Derek and the good songs that we uh, heard tonight that we were able to sing that gives glory to your wonderful name. Lord, there were scriptural songs, not contradicting the word of God, but complimenting and flattering it. And of course, giving the Lord Jesus his rightful place as Lord and Savior. Thank you so much for these songs that cheered our hearts and prepared us, Lord, for tonight. I pray, Father, that the precious Holy Spirit, that you said when he has come, 
meaning when he came on the day of Pentecost, that he would lead the believer and guide the believer into all truth, helping him to understand the word of God. Thank you for our heavenly teacher tonight. And Lord, I pray that he's not grieved, that he's able to walk among us and open our eyes of understanding so that we may benefit from this wonderful book. We'll praise you for what you do and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, with your Bibles open to the book of Jude, Brother Larry has given you the handout. I hope you'll stay with me and uh, let's read the book together and then I'll provide commentary for you. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called, mercy unto you, and peace, and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people, out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, the white throne judgment. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the era of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, 
plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember you the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ? How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. But beloved, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Well, the little book of Jude, one man called it gospel dynamite because it's so explosive. Jude is placed in the canon of Scripture right where it needs to be. It is the last of the general epistles. Now when I talk about general epistles, I'm talking about James, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 1st and 2nd Peter, and of course Jude. These are general epistles. And as I said, Jude is placed right in the canon of scriptures where it needs to be placed. Now you know the Bible was put together by men. And books may or may not be in the exact order that the Holy Spirit wants because man did it. But Jude is placed exactly in the canon of Scripture where it needs to be. And I'll tell you why as we go on. Notice, if you will, Jude appears just before the book of Revelation which gives to us a very vivid picture of the church age and how it ends. Hold your finger right there and look up here at me a minute. When we talk about the church age, 
you know that the church began at Pentecost. There was no church before the Holy Spirit descended on the day of Pentecost and gave birth to those disciples that was in the upper room. Now the church age has been running for over 2,000 years now. We don't know when the church age will end. But we do know that when Jesus comes in the rapture, the fullness of the Gentiles will have become in and the church age will end. So it began at Pentecost and it shall end at the rapture. We are in the dispensation of grace. Some people call it the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. Others call it the dispensation of the church, the church age. Going along now for over 2,000 years, when the bride is complete, Jesus shall come, catch the waiting church away, and there shall be an apostate church left here. We'll talk about that in just a moment. If you'll notice, uh, the church age is portrayed by the seven churches in the book of Revelation written to by John. Could we pause there again, please, for just a second? The seven churches of Asia that John wrote to, now were probably more than that, but the Holy Spirit chose seven, Ephesus and Smyrna and so on. These seven churches received letters from the aged Apostle John from the Isle of Patmos where he had been sent by the government to get him out of the way. They tried to kill him. Tradition tells us they boiled John in a cauldron of oil. And when he did not die, they exiled him to Patmos. While he was there, God gave him the book of the Revelation. Contained in the Revelation are seven churches. And each letter individually goes to the proper church that bears its name with an individual message that is for that time. Not only that, but those churches give us a picture of the church age as a whole. They are progressive, if you will. For example, Ephesus gives that period of uh, the first church when it was born, the apostolic period, if you will. Smyrna gives that period of time when the church was crushed. Smyrna, myrrh, the root is crushed, and it gives off a beautiful odor. So the church at Pentecost, and for a period of time, the apostolic age, represented by Ephesus, Smyrna, that church that's crushed through persecution, and then the others that follow. I won't take the time to tell you, but each one in particular gives us a picture of the church age and what happened 
in that particular time in the church age. Right now, we are the Philadelphia church, the church of brotherly love. Jesus said in John 13, 34, listen, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, what's the identifying mark of born-again people? That they love one another. Now, look at the name Philadelphia. And I'm going to hurry and get through this and get back to Jude. But Philadelphia is two Greek words, actually. Phileo, which means fond of. And adelphos, which means brother. So Philadelphia means the church of brotherly love. We know then that Philadelphia is the true church. And it is going on in this time. One of these days, we don't know when, the Son of God shall come and catch the Philadelphian church out of this world and the Laodicean church will be left here. If you study that church, you'll find that it's lukewarm, it is apostate, and it has pushed Jesus Christ out of the church. He's standing outside the door, knocking, asking for an entrance to come into a church that's supposed to be his. But they've crowded him out. Laodicea, Laos, people. It's the people's church. It doesn't belong to him. But it, it ends, the church age ends in apostasy. Now, let me pause just a second and help you right here. Is apostasy and false doctrine the same? Absolutely not. Is apostasy and false teachers and teaching the same? Is an apostate teacher the same as a false teacher? Absolutely not. Let me give you an example. False teachers are teachers who are teaching false doctrine. Maybe some of them are truly born again. You say, preacher, how could that be? Well, listen to me. There are large denominations that teach this doctrine, and it's false, it's wrong, it's completely unscriptural. There are large denominations that teach that a person can be saved and then lost, saved and then lost, meaning that they place the responsibility after a person is saved on that individual to keep himself saved. That's completely false. But there are people, preachers, who believe that with all their heart. They're misled. They don't rightly divide the word of God, but they're not apostate. They could truly be saved, and they're teaching false doctrine. Let me give you another right quick. Since the turn of the century, 
we don't have this problem anymore. But when I was growing up as a boy, I don't know if the preachers that preached that Jesus Christ was coming only one time back to this earth. That when he comes this next time, ever I shall see him. He's coming back to judge everybody. If you've done good, you get to go to heaven. If you've done bad, you can't go to heaven. You have to go to hell. That's called uh, post-millennial doctrine. I remember one time as a young man preaching in a church in Cartersville. Had an older pe preacher there. And I had just discovered the wonderful truth of the rapture. And of course, I was anxious to preach it. So when I had opportunity, I opened my Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I preached away about the rapture. Well, after I preached, that old man, and I don't know why they thought this was spiritual, but they tried to be kind to the old man. I wanted to rebuke him in front of the people and I thought that's not what Jesus would do. The Holy Spirit don't want me to do that. So I said, well pastor, let's you and me go to the back. And uh, I knew I wasn't coming back. <laughs> let's you and I come to the back and let me greet the people. So he, he was, boy, he was pit, he was miffed, he was puffed up and Anyway, anyway, there's a lot of preachers, were a lot of preachers like that, that did not believe in the rapture, although it's clearly taught in the New Testament. Is that man an apostate? No. No, he's probably born again, but he's just taught wrong doctrine and preaching wrong doctrine. So let me give you this right quickly. I know my time's clicking away. There's a difference between a false teacher and an apostate. A teacher who is teaching false doctrine may believe that he's preaching the truth and be in error. You agree with that? An apostate, on the other hand, he knows the truth and he turns away from it. He won't preach it. He won't allow anybody to preach it in his church. He's turned away from cardinal doctrine, that deposit that Jesus left with the church. Would you look at Jude, uh, verse number three, right quickly. 
I was going to write about the common salvation, but when the Holy Spirit came upon me, he wants me to write and exhort you. Look at verse 3, the latter part. I, I need to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the, see that definite article, the faith. What does that mean, preacher? It means that body of revealed doctrine that Jesus deposited with the church. He said to his disciples before he went away, I have many things to say to you, but you're not able. But when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he'll lead you and guide you into all truth. After Jesus went back to his father, he chose men, and the Spirit of God moved upon them, and they wrote the Word of God that was the deposit. That's what Jesus left with the church, the completed canon of scriptures, the Word of God. And Jude says we ought to earnestly contend for it. Those cardinal doctrines like the rapture, like the new birth, like Bible separation, like blood atonement, like the virgin birth, on and on and on I could go. The church is to contend for those wonderful truths we call the faith, Bible doctrine. Now I know this is going to come as a surprise to some. won't surprise many of you. But did you know there's only one faith? You say, oh, preacher, that can't be right. There's, a, there's this faith and that faith and other faith. No, I know you've heard that. But according to the Bible, now who are we going to believe? Them or the Bible? Okay. According to the Bible, there's one Lord, and that's the... Greek word in, which means one and one only. One Lord, one faith. Ooh. One faith. So that means that everybody, no matter what denomination they might be in, if they've trusted Jesus Christ and are born again, they're part of that body of people. That word faith there is used differently. So you see that people are all who are saved, all belong to one faith. There's only one, according to this Bible. So we need to come down on the side of the word of God. Jude said, I, I was going to write to you about the common salvation. The word is kinenia. Erasmus would call it koine, but he splits the diphthongs, and that's wrong. Kinania, the, the salvation that can be shared by everyone. Isn't that great? What does that do to the Calvinistic doctrine? Well, it just destroys it, doesn't it? They say that some are elected to hell and some are elected to heaven. Well, Jude says everybody can be saved. What about that? He says that Jesus Christ died so that everybody could share in salvation, the common salvation. Now notice, if you will, let's go back. 
Guys, the church age ends in apostasy. Did I make it plain about the apostate? He knows the truth, but he's turned away from it. He won't have those. He will not believe the virgin birth. He will not believe the necessity of the new birth. He sees them. He knows they're there, but he will not accept it. That's an apostate. And that's how the church age is going to end in apostasy. People who have heard and know the truth, but willingly, volitionally turn away from it. Now, are we seeing some of that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm no date setter. I don't know when Jesus is coming. But if the church age is to end in apostasy, it may have to get worse. I don't know. That's up to him. But if the church age is to end in apostasy, you better get your shoes on and get ready to go because he's coming. I can see, can't you, the storm clouds on the horizon? Can you not see the religious world who have deliberately, volitionally turned from the truth? I wish I had time. I'd like to talk to you about the things they're doing in the religious world. It's pathetic. It's pitiful. We are living in days of apostasy. And Jesus is surely coming. Look at your handout again. We're told in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, 3 and 4 by the Apostle Paul, as the church age closes, listen to what he writes. They will not endure sound doctrine, but will turn their ears from the truth and be turned Unto fables, apostasy is a turning away from revealed truth. That's apostasy. Jude writes that there are apostates, and he's going to show us who they are. Look at this, please. Jude gives six Old Testament examples of apostasy. Would you look at verse 5 right quickly? The first one is people that came out of Egypt. Oh, you say, I thought all of those people were saved. No, some of them wasn't. There was a mixed multitude that came out with Israel. Apostates would not believe the word of God, would not go forward with Moses. And God opened up the face of the earth and let them fall into hell alive. Yeah. Yeah, that's another side of God that this world has really never seen. All we know is grace, but there is a God in heaven who is holy, who is holy, and his holiness demands that sin is paid for. All right, watch this now. First Old Testament example is Israel. Look again. Verse 6 are the angels. They are examples that Jude gives of apostasy. They left their own habitation. 
Wish I had time to talk to you about that. You ought to, you ought to come sometimes when I'm teaching on angels. Uh, maybe I can. I have a, a study about angels. There are three classes of angels. They're the good angels, good holy angels. Holy, unfallen, and free. The second class of angels are unholy, fallen, and free. That's the demonic spirits. The third class of angels are these that Jude's talking about. Unholy, fallen, and bound. Jude tells us what their sin was. It was like the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. They went after Etheros, strange flesh. Genesis chapter 6 answers these questions. All right, so the angels are apostate that left their own habitation. Look at verse 7. Sodom and Gomorrah. Those men, or I should say males, excuse me. Those males forsook the natural use of the woman and burned in their hearts against males just like them of the same sex homosexuality now I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings I don't want to be mean here but folks God hasn't changed his mind he hasn't changed his mind about that awful terrible sin you say well all sin is sin I beg your pardon I beg your pardon show me in the word of God where God burned to a crisp five sins over any other sin that the human family has committed. There is none. He hates homosexuality because there's no possibility of life in that unholy union. And he's all about life. Right? You say, oh, preacher, you're homophobic. You hate them. No, no. No, anybody that knows me knows better than that. If one came into the door here and I knew who he was or she was, I knew they were perverted and sat down there, I wouldn't think a, a second thought about sitting down right beside them and putting my arm around them and telling them that Jesus loves them. We hate the sin, not the sinner, right? We hate the sin like God hates the sin. He loves the sinner. We're to love the sinner. We're not homophobic. We hate their sin. We don't tolerate that. They are an example of apostasy. All right, let's go further. Notice, please, if you will, not only Sodom and Gomorrah, but drop down to verse 11. He's giving you examples of apostasy. Look at verse 11. I won't be able to finish, but I'm watching the clock. Look at verse 11. Here is a man mentioned that's an apostate. His name is Cain. And knowing the way that God had prescribed that sinners come to them, his younger brother Abel killed a little lamb and shed his blood, and God accepted him. And Cain said, I'm not doing that. 
believe in that old bloody religion. I'm going to get the very best that my crops can afford and offer that to God. Well, there's several things wrong with that. Number one, it came from a condemned earth. Earth was under a curse. Number two, there wasn't any blood shed. And Cain knew it. And when he brought the offering, God said, I can't accept that, Cain. If you'll do like your brother Abel, offer the proper sacrifice, you'll be accepted. Cain would not do it. Cain's way is the way of rejecting God's offer of salvation through the blood. He offered the world a religion without a mediator. He offered the world a religion what that says that no blood needs to be shed. All you need is just a little education. You need an environment change. Don't get upset over this bloody religion that these fundamentalists preach. No. Cain was an apostate. Look at verse 11 again. Not only that, but Balaam. Balaam was an apostate preacher. He was an ireling. That means he, his gift was for sale. You give me enough money, he says, I'll preach whatever you want. Are we living in that time? You better believe it, brother. You better believe it. Balaam was an apostate. Look again, if you will. That word C-O-R-E, that's a transliterated word. It's actually K-O-R-A-H. Korah. Korah said, Moses, you're taking too much authority upon yourself. God spoke through some of us. And it broke Moses' heart and he prayed. And God said, don't worry, Moses, I'll take care of it. Tomorrow you say to the people, whoever's on God's side, come over here. And they did. Moses said, if you're on the Lord's side, come over here. Some of them didn't. They were following Korah in his apostasy. God opened the earth up, the mouth of the earth, and Korah and all that appertained unto Korah fell into hell alive. Most people die and go to hell. They went to hell and then died. That's what God thinks about rebelling. Listen carefully to me. Rebelling against divinely appointed men. That's what God thinks about that. When God calls a man and gifts him and gives him to the church, that's God's love gift to that church. The church ought to love him and follow him. There are those that will rise up against that divinely appointed, established man of God and God gave the example of the apostate Korah to show you what he thinks about it. Okay, well, I'm going to have to close. But Jude also gives six examples. It's called word pictures. Can I just give them to you, read them? These are spots in your love feast. They're waterless clouds. They're fruitless autumn trees, verse 13. They're raging waves of the sea. They are wandering stars. Verse 16, they're murmurs, complainers. Verse 18, they're mockers. Verse 19, they are natural. King James says sensual. 
They're natural men who do not possess the Holy Spirit. These word pictures describe the apostate in artistic means. Oh, I just wish that I could share them with you and you could see clear as day the apostate and the apostate teacher. Six examples, Jude gives of apostasy, eight word pictures that he gives to describe apostasy so that God's people would know them without a shadow of doubt. Well, please study this, will you? Give it some thought. I'll close and we'll do revelation, the Lord's willing, next week. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your people. And Lord, there's just so much there that my time is gone. Thank you for those who are here tonight. God bless them. Would you be with us as we conclude the service in the prayer meeting, Lord, the prayer service, which is so very important. Thank you for those that prepare the, the uh, roster for us, the names and so on. And God help us to be sincerity. You said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Help us, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.